The views and opinions expressed on the Untold History Revealed podcast are solely those of the individual stating them and are not necessarily those of the Untold History Revealed owners. Sit back and grab a cup of coffee or tea as we discuss some moments in history that may have been untold or forgotten. Another episode of Untold History Revealed starts now. Hi, gang, and welcome to another episode of Untold History Revealed. I am your host, John Donnelly. And I'm your co-host, Marianne Donnelly. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about who we are, what we're doing, and why we're doing this. Uh, we are the owners of Dark Shadow Ghost Tours and PanicD.com. And throughout the years and uh, different places we've traveled, we've collected a lot of information. And uh, Marianne and I decided to... As a hobby to kind of put together this little podcast that we put out once a week kind of go over some history that you may have heard about you might not have heard about the details and this uh it's what created untold history revealed um so tonight we are talking again about uh lizzie borden now we've already done two other podcasts yeah, we did the basics yeah we went over the and basics then we and we did uh, lizzie did it yeah why we thought lizzie did it and today we're gonna do why lizzie didn't do it well how yeah somebody else could have done it right. besides lizzie and why she was acquitted now those of you who uh have been living under a rock and have not heard about lizzie borden you have a couple of options number one you can go back and listen to our previous podcast about lizzie borden um, you can Google her. I mean, it's a, it's a all over the internet. Tons and tons of books. You can read the official transcripts. Everything. So, in fact, Marianne is is so well versed with this case. We thought about writing a book, but there are so many out there already. <laughs> it's like, why even bother? But, um, or you can um, basically just listen to this podcast, and uh, this is kind of how things went down. Um, the reason why we picked this date to do this episode is because tomorrow, mm-hmm. August 4th, right, is actually the 124th anniversary to the actual murders. Um, and today has some significance yeah, as well. There's some significance the for the Wednesday before. Um, this is the day where the family members started to... Uh, Tell others that they thought they were being Yeah, something was happening. They were getting sick. Yes. Um, So they didn't know whether they were being poisoned. They didn't know whether uh, the food was... Well, I don't know that they thought about the food being bad, but that's basically (laughs) probably what happened. That's what the doctor thought. Yeah. um, But this is August, in the heat of August. Now, some books say it was the hottest August that, you know... No, that's not true. It was a typical August in... Actually, the highest temperature for the day of the murders was 78 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. So it was a typical yes. you know, it was summer June. day. It was, it was July, the month before, that was just so oppressive. But they were eating food that was left out unrefrigerated for a while. So Yeah, they didn't have refrigeration. So, yeah. yep. Well, like I said, if you've never heard of this before, here's what went down. Um, basically, there was a family of four that lived under the same roof. Um, 
you had Andrew Borden and you had uh, Abby Borden, which was Andrew's second wife. Correct. And Andrew's two unwed daughters that were in their 30s. From the first marriage. From the first marriage that also lived in the house. Um, And on the morning of August 4th, at about approximately 9.30 a.m., Abby Borden was murdered uh, with nine, no, what's the number? How many hatchet? 18. 18. Abby was murdered with 18 blows. 18 blows blows to the back. And uh, eventually, eventually, uh, Andrew. Around 11.30-ish. About about 11-ish. 11, uh, 11.30. 11-ish, because at 11.30, they had already looked at his dead body, and people were there visiting already. Okay. Um, so he succumbed to, between 10 and 11, his was such a disaster that they couldn't tell if yeah, it was his, 10 or 11. His face was totally just yes. mangled. Yes. Okay. Now, there were several people that could have done it and actually we're going to talk about that on this episode but basically it came down to them charging one of the daughters elizabeth borden um she was charged with the crimes and her trial didn't take place until almost a year after the murders so she was actually how long did she spend in jail it was approximately 10 months 10 months in jail now Um, Lizzie is what a lot of people call her. Her name was actual, uh, Elizabeth. And then I think later she changed her name to Lizbeth. Lizbeth. Uh, but people call her Lizzie. Um, she was basically a Sunday school teacher. Um, very well-mannered, um, social skills, that kind of thing. Uh, timid. She just wasn't wed. She was on board for the hospital. Yeah, she, yeah. She was so yeah. she was an upstanding citizen. She was so to quite speak. an upstanding citizen. And it was quite shocking in that time. We're talking 1892 um, for for a woman to be charged with murder, let alone a brutal murder. Right. Um, at the time, so this was a pretty shocking case. It was the O.J. Simpson trial of the time, basically. Right. National news. Um, so then you think about the media who got involved and the stuff they made up to sell newspapers and yeah, there were like actually that. some things that were in the newspapers, such as that it was Lizzie's boyfriend who did it, which she didn't have, but yeah. this boyfriend that she had uh, because she was pregnant and Mr. Borden was upset about it, so he killed him off because of that. But which was she was not crap, pregnant. But, but she actually that was actually printed in the newspapers, and her lawyers kind of got on them. And the guy who wrote it, he got fired. Uh, yeah, it was. It was so big. for those of you who do research in newspapers, especially back in the day, uh, try to find second sources to match that because a lot of times they just made stuff up to sell newspapers. Right. Right. Um, but anyways, uh, like I said, our previous episodes, we, we went over the basics of the trial and the autopsy. Um, and then we went over basically how she actually could have, con- um, 
could have done it. Could have done it. Oh, and I forgot to mention that after the trial, she, she was basically acquitted. Yes, she was acquitted. Um, so this is an open murder case. It's still not It is. Solved. It is considered a cold case. Um, and I did hear something like they, they just in recent times, not too long ago, that they might have more evidence um, for the case. They found the diaries of one, Her of, lawyers. The, one of the attorneys. Yes. Um, so... I they, don't know. They we might found, hear some more about this. Yes, they found the in the attic of his residence, his family down the line, the generations, um, found it in the attic, donated it. Um, Maybe they're the waiting until the hundred twenty fifth anniversary to release the, the, findings the new findings or whatever. But uh, but there are also the case documents that have never been seen uh, since the trial that are locked up in her lawyer's office mm-hmm. um, through the through the descending time uh it has remained in a filing cabinet locked up at the offices in massachusetts so um anyways it's still an open case she was acquitted um and we're going to talk about why she was acquitted uh in this one um so basically let me give you just a little bit more background and i'm going to turn turn it over to uh, marianne and kind of go through this stuff but um to kind of paint the picture about andrew borden First of all, he was a self-made, well, let's say millionaire. He wasn't a millionaire at the time, but he was worth about $10 million in today's money. So this guy had, he had bucks. Yes, he definitely did. Uh, He owned one of the largest banks in Fall River. He owned several uh, rental properties. He probably stepped on a lot of heads climbing to the top to make all that money. His downfall was... He was very, very frugal with his money. For example, the house that they lived in, uh, we've been there. Yes. It's not in the greatest area of town, um, but he wanted to live there for a couple reasons. One, he was a part of the construction crew that actually built the house. But number two, it was within walking distance of his business yeah. Um, and he walked every morning. He would walk. He'd yeah. get a he'd get a shave, and then he'd visit all the properties that. He Even though he was retired, he did that every morning. Um, but they did not have electricity, indoor bathrooms, well, running they had, water, that yeah, kind of in stuff. In the basement, was, they kind of had one bathroom, but yeah, they but used, it was But upstairs, where they had their living quarters, they used they used you know, yeah, uh, bowls it, and things. it wasn't updated to no, current times definitely we're talking not. 1892 where the wealthy had electricity they had correct okay yes um and he like we were talking about the family getting sick um what they had for breakfast was what's called mutton which is basically like a beef stew that was three days old not refrigerated that he said we're going to eat this until it's gone we're not wasting any money. And the guy's worth like $10 million. You know, so that's just kind of the way he was. Mm-hmm. Um, so he had a lot of enemies. Could have been a, a great number of people that wanted to see Andrew Borden dead. Yes, there um, were. There, that was one of Lizzie's contentions was, you know, her father was not well loved by everyone. And maybe it was someone who he had bad business dealings with and she was relating stories from about a month ago or so before the murders uh where there were fights between her father and some of the his people that were 
you know, trying to get him to rent space to him and things like that, literally in her house. She overheard the conversations. Um, and actually leading to why she was actually acquitted was all of her previous, uh, I, um, I, I can't think of the word, but uh, let's say testimonies, um, and statements that, that she gave leading up to the trial were all contradictory. I mean, none of them matched up, but they weren't admissible in court because they found out that she was actually on morphine. They put her on morphine and everything that caused her nerves. That was very true. They did not um, exclude it for that reason, though. So did you want to tell them the reason? No, go ahead and tell them. Okay. Uh, the reason was actually that she was, it's not that she was on morphine, which she was, uh, but it was because she was actually given um, word several days before that that she was looked at as a prime suspect. Um, it wasn't supposed to go to her, but she asked. And so she basically said, Oh, am I? A suspect and they said oh, yeah yeah you are and um, then she was actually they actually had an arrest warrant for her before she gave her inquest testimony so then that made it inadmissible because she asked during the inquest if she could have her attorney present and they denied it to her and because she was denied her access to her attorney during that inquest they said looks like uh, too bad for you. We're okay. going. To, we're not going to admit it. Well, okay. Go ahead. You um, have another. Well, it said on this this website it was because of, they found out that she was being drugged, but you read something else. You can't trust websites. Um, <laughs> well, but she I never mean, testified during the two week trial either. She never got up and testified. Right. Her only so. the only time she spoke, which is kind of weird for a murder case. A double homicide at that. You know, she just sat there and let all these people talk about her. The um, only time she actually testified was in her inquest. There were five Which was thrown out. That's admissible. right. There were five times, five You can't mention that now. We're talking about the case. Sorry, that's not there. That's (laughs) what I'm saying. That's not admissible now. So here you have the murder suspect that's not saying a word. Right. Which is kind of smart because of the defense attorney. And this is why she was acquitted. Mm-hmm. Lack of evidence. Right. Now, if she got up on, on stand and the prosecution questioned her, and at the time her, her testimony was conflicting, this could have been a totally different outcome. Right. So that was a smart move by the prosecution not putting her on the stand. Yeah. She did make a single statement at the end of her trial when the judge said, you know, do you want to say anything? And basically she said, no, I trust my attorneys. That's not her words. I was looking for the actual words. I have them somewhere. But uh, basically that was the gist of it was, no, I basically trust what they've done and, and and I am innocent. She said, she said, I am innocent, but I trust my attorneys, basically. Um, okay, so basically that's the introduction of what we're talking about here. Um, you've spent some time here recently, 
um, going through one of the books that we picked up when we were there. Uh, what is the title of that book and who's the author? It's called Cold Case to Case Closed, Lisbeth Bo- Borden, My Story. Um, it is by Rich Little and Beverly Falstad. Okay, and the premise of this is um, written it, from Elizabeth Borden's perspective. But she actually didn't she didn't write actually it. write it. Okay. But in in the book, you'll notice where they they clearly identify what they made up. Um, they they make it all signed by Elizabeth and that kind of stuff. Uh, but they also have. Uh, synopses of the different individuals who were brought into the testimony and what their testimony was about. Uh, and they do have, you know, um, references in there to where they got this information from. So it's written as a novel, but it is also written as historically accurate as it can possibly be. Um, and their idea, the premise behind it was they didn't believe that Lizzie did it and they were looking through the trial transcripts and things like that to identify where um, where they could have said that she didn't do it. And like I said, there are hundreds of books written about this case, so that's kind of a, a, a different spin on how to come out with a book. That's actually kind of smart. Yeah. It's a different perspective, you know. Somebody would see that. What do you mean written by Lizzie Borden? This is <laughs> yeah. kind of cool. Yeah, it, yeah, it, 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 it was kind of interesting. I enjoyed it. Um, I, I was looking in certain things, and I would read something in it, and then I'd go and I'd look it up other places. I know. It took you a while to get through that. Yeah. It, it's, so. a, it's a very easy read. Um I was getting nervous. I didn't know if we were going to make this uh, podcast or not, but you <laughs> it knocked is, it off this yeah, morning. So. Yeah, it is a very easy read. But like I said, um, it is written where there are segments that it says that Elizabeth wrote these things, but she did not. Um, but they clearly identify where they made those falsities. Okay, so you have uh, about eight minutes if you want to delve into this before we go eight on break. minutes before till we break, break already? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, uh, I guess the first thing is everybody knows the the nursery rhyme, right? right? We've mentioned it on our podcast before. You know, Lizzie Borden took an axe, gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. Um, the book that I we were mentioning that I read recently, um, the authors actually came up with a new second verse to that, which said... Um, Lisbeth's lawyers presented the facts which persuaded the jury, though not the hacks. When society condemned what she had done, they soiled her name and continued to shun. Because after she was acquitted, she yeah. was still shunned by society. And uh, everybody, you know, messed with her. The kids in the neighborhood messed with her house. They would throw rotten eggs at her house and things like that. And there's a woman named um, Hilda Gifford who was a daughter of a Fall River jeweler who lived nearby her her ending residence. Um, and she said that they used to go and basically draw lots on Halloween to see who was going to go ring her doorbell. Oh, jeez. But when they did, she said they made up a second verse to the nursery rhyme as well. And the one that she used to add was, Andrew Borden now is dead. Lizzie hit him on the head. Up in heaven he will sing. On the gallows she will swing. But she never did. (laughs) 
<laughs> so I, I find those kind of interesting as well. Well, this case is very intriguing. And in the, in the, the previous podcast, I, I kept mentioning that, you know, she did it, she did it, she did it. I, I guess, honestly, I'm kind of on the fence whether she did it or not did it. I mean, whether, I mean, just, just from her inadmissible statements, they just don't make sense. And being there and seeing the, the, the way the house is laid out, it's just some of the stuff just does not make sense to me. But if she did not do it, I feel bad for her because the rest of her life she was stained mm-hmm. with this and had to live with it. You right. Know, I mean, this is her parents who had died, and people just tortured her for the rest of her life. But mm-hmm. she still stayed in Fall yeah, River. Yeah, that amazes me. And that she, she had half of that money. Right. Her sister got the you other You know, money. it's like, to me, I would have left. Oh, I, mean, I would have left, too. Not that I'm knocking Fall Rivers. I don't need another target <laughs> on my back, okay? But I've been to other places that are gorgeous we just got back from one (laughs) you know i would have moved to key west or moved somewhere warm or you know something with all that money but she stayed there yeah she did she dealt with that she did she stayed there she did go on some trips you know she went now was she she was she ousted from the church or was she uh, they still involved did, with that, or you don't know? She, she, I, well, I didn't mean to bring that up. I know we didn't, didn't research that, but she didn't get ousted, but she was not allowed she to the Sunday play school anymore. Yeah, yeah, she she See, was kind of she was kind of. If she didn't do outs, it, that's kind of sad, don't you think? Yeah, I meant. But yeah, okay. Anyways, yeah. not to interrupt you. Go okay. ahead. Well, um, one of the big things that was present throughout the case was this note that Lizzie claimed that Abby had gotten yes. and it was just never found and no one ever All right, so you know, let's back up. That was one of her testimonies that was inadmissible when she was asked, Where's your mother? They said, Well that's not my mother, that's Mrs. Borden. Right. But She's she left a note saying she, that somebody was sick and she left the house to she go take got them. a note set from someone that said they, yeah. someone was sick and she needed to go and visit them. But the note was never found. Note was never found. Okay. Never found. Um, there are theories uh, that there was no note. Obviously, no note was ever found. No one ever came forward and said, yeah, I'm the one who was sick. I did send for her, whatever. Yeah, which um, is so that never that never appeared. Uh, but there's <laughs> also some... Um, question as to whether or not uh there ever was a note that maybe it was made up uh or it was verbal it was a verbal message rather than a written message or that it was made up so that some individuals named bridget and john who we will get to know sometime soon if you don't already remember them uh could have some time alone in the house without Mrs. Borden around. Yeah, that sounds like a bunch of crap to me, but go ahead. Anyway, um, however, during the actual trial, uh, Sergeant Philip Harrington was giving his testimony, and he mentioned that while he was in the kitchen, kind of interrogating or questioning Lizzie, he saw Dr. Bowen in there as well, and that he was going through some paper scraps that were in his pocket, and 
he questioned Dr. Bone as to what they were, and he's like, oh, no, it's nothing. It's just about my daughter. Um, it has no, it's got nothing to do with this case. <coughs> and then he goes to burn them in the, in the um, kitchen stove. And when he goes to do that, Harrington notices that in pencil there is the word Emma on one of them. Now, Emma was... Lizzie's sister, who was away, Dr. Bowen was the one that Lizzie sent to send a telegram to her sister, Emma. So was this maybe a a practice note or something that he was sending to Emma? Don't know. Um, But the word Emma is found on or noticed on this by Harrington. Uh, They were burned, though, so we'll never know what they really were. Uh, but also, when he opened the stove to throw those in, Harrington noticed uh, some rolled paper that was in there already burned and charred. Now, what exactly was that? Was that the note, the infamous missing note? Or another one of the things with Lizzie Borden case is that maybe she had done it Uh, because there was a change to the will of her father, which was going to cut her share down dramatically, was this the new will that was being burned in the fire of the stove? We don't know. But Harrington, on the witness stand, did indicate that he saw those two items that had been burned that day. What are your thoughts? Or it could on have that? been just the newspaper that they finished reading and they put it in the stove. Could have been, could have been. But if it was the will, it's why another reason that Lizzie did do it. To me, Andrew Borden being a businessman, frugal, very meticulous type person, I think a copy of the will would be with an attorney or something. That's my opinion. Mm-hmm. I don't know what practices were back then. Right. I know today we keep a copy of the will with attorneys. I don't know if there was something that's changed that that is the current practice now or if they did that back then. I don't know. But to me, being a businessman, he would have those papers, those important papers, not on his you know where he lives it mm-hmm. would be somewhere else especially an owner of a bank he would have a, a safety deposit box if it wasn't at an attorney and he did have three banks that he visited daily yeah so i don't know about the will that okay. i would kind of say mm, i think they're just okay. grasping at straws but that's my opinion okay you know it's america i'm allowed to have my opinion because <laughs> there are except in this household you know you always win but <laughs> course i do it's the way it works isn't it that's right um there there were yes, um, dear. questions yes, dear. made to who uh to a gentleman who potentially would have written this new will and he said no there was no new will see um, that's so i i don't know i what about the note do you think it was the note I don't think any note ever existed, to be honest with you. Okay, so you don't think it was the note. You think it was I just think a daily I think she was so newspaper. messed up. Here's my, my... Well, yeah. I mean, that's probably how they got rid of their paper. I mean, they wouldn't, like we do, put it in a landfill. They just burn it in the stove. But um, I think she was just so drugged out, and she came up with this thing with this note, and then she's like, dang, I should have wrote a freaking note. You know, she just screwed up. But... 
That's okay. my opinion. Now, whether she did it or was involved with it, mm-hmm. like I said, you know, like you mentioned, covering for Uncle John and Bridget, mm-hmm. you know, which that's my theory is those two were in on it. She knew about it. Emma knew about it because Emma and Uncle John were best well, buds. Well, Emma and Uncle John were, but but um, Lizzie and Emma is the ones that got the money. Right. Now, who's to say there wasn't some sort of kickback to Uncle John and Bridget for doing their deed somehow that's not recorded? I don't okay. know. That's just my opinion. Okay. I don't see Lizzie taking a hatchet and doing what, you know, that part of it. But I think she was involved. Okay. Somehow. And Emma was just, oh, I wasn't there that day, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, how, she was gone for a week, right? She was gone, I think, for a couple weeks before couple that. A couple weeks. Yeah. Actually, I think... If memory serves correctly, Lizzie was with her but came back home. Yeah, Lizzie had gone out on on a trip as when well. When Uncle John mysteriously shows up to stay that time. See what I'm saying? It's just yeah. kind of things she fall had, into she place. She had gone it's and stayed with different friends. Her yeah, and her but sister she went, came but home. She came home. Her sister did not. Right. And then Uncle John just shows up. Yeah. But anyways, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, another thing that was a big you know, oh, Lizzie did it because her father was so frugal and she didn't want to live the way, the lifestyle she was living anymore. She wanted to live up on the hill. Right. Uh, there were some, there's several books actually that have noted, but I have not, I have not delved into the paperwork of um, land sales in Fall River. Someone else, if you have, let me know. Uh, but there were, plans apparently for Andrew Borden to move to the hill in August which is when he was murdered why if she if that was her big thing uh she for killing him was she didn't want to live that way anymore she wanted to live up on the hill in high society if they were actually going to be moving there this month why do it now you know uh but there's uh Individuals who uh, say that there was Andrew Borden and his cousin, another Andrew Borden, who were both interested in a house up on the hill, which was $15,000 on North Main Street. Which, by the way, little side note, there are a lot of Bordens in Fall River. A lot. There's even a Borden Avenue or something. But it's not named after Andrew. No. It's the family. Right. And actually, Lizzie Borden's... Uh, arrest warrant was actually signed by another Borden. Yeah, so there are yeah. a lot of Bordens in Fall River, but okay. Sorry, keep going. It's okay. Uh, so they had actually intended to buy the same home, and then they decided instead in May or June to purchase a large sum of land and basically subdivide it and build two mansions on there, and both of them live on that property. So, so you discovered that they had plans to move. They, they had plans to move, and it was supposed to be all settled and ready to go for August. Yeah, so there goes that motive. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, that's a couple of those motives, and we're just kind of getting rid of them for her. Yeah, just check them off the list. Check them off the list. All right, so um, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back, and you keep on chugging. All right. And, um, interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. All right, we'll be right back.
calendars, close your doors, and turn off all the lights. As twice a month, BTE Radio brings you a new episode of The Haunted Spotlight. Sean and Marianne Donnelly of Dark Shadow Ghost Tours dig deep into the archives of the Panic D database and take you inside a different location with each new episode. Learn the rich history and hear the paranormal claims of some of the most infamous and unsuspecting locations from around the country. Ever wonder what roams the property or lurks behind those closed doors? Curious about the true history of that creepy house that sits down the street? Want to know what evidence a paranormal investigation group may have captured? Then find out every other Sunday and tune in to BTE Radio for another chilling episode of The Haunted Spotlight, if you dare. <laughs> okay, we're back and we're talking about the Lizzie Borden case again, but uh, this time we're talking about... Um, how others could have done it besides her. We definitely know that uh, Abby and Andrew were murdered on August 4th, 1892. Mm-hmm. Um, Lizzie was acquitted uh, after her trial, and uh, we're going over some of these uh, scenarios and different things that Marianne have, uh, has uh, researched here recently. So um, keep going, dear. You're doing well. <laughs> All right. I'm just sitting here listening. Okay. Watching the time. Great. All right. So um, let's talk about the hatchet. Let's. Okay. The hatchet was... A murder weapon. Supposedly the murder weapon. Even though the rhyme says Lizzie Borden took an axe, I guess axe rhymes with wax better than hatchet. That is the way they have have deemed it through history. So it was a Um, hatchet, not an axe. It was supposedly a hatchet. I've heard people call hatchet axes anyways. Yeah, me too. Uh, But but based on the size of the wounds, um, they did... uh, refer to it then as being a hatchet that had actually been the murder weapon. Um, but they were shown uh, several axes and hatchets that were in the Borden basement. and Which is not uncommon because that's right, how they heated they the house. Heated the house, ki- cooked their food, you know. Cause, killed their chickens. Yeah. Uh, so it wasn't uncommon for them to have those in the home. Uh, but they had several. And of all of the ones that were there, there were two that they really were inquisitive about. One which seemed to have hair and blood on it. Oh, I would kind of question that myself. I would myself. question that one too. Uh, it turned out that was not human hair or human blood uh, when they did do the testing on it. So that one was disqualified. So there's this other one that they found buried in a box of, you know, soot type stuff in the basement. Um, and they said, okay, well, this one has a recently broken handle, and it's hidden sort of in this box, so this must be it. So that's the one that if you go to Fall River today, but is there. But they never there. tested it for blood? They did test it. There was no blood on it. Really? Yeah. So that's not the murder weapon? It could have been a very good cleaning job, sir. <laughs> I thought even now, if you would test that with, what's that chemical? Yeah, there there's lots of... You would tell whether it be blood yeah, on it or not. Kesselmeyer solution is a biggie for testing for blood. and uh, But 
Okay. Yeah. Anyways. Mm -hmm. Anyways. Uh, so yeah. Why was she acquitted? <laughs> hmm. uh, Not knocking the police. There's. Don't get me going on that. There's a lot of reasons. Um, 1892. They didn't know. They what didn't they know, know forensics back then. It was yeah. just the beginnings. So, uh, in any case, while uh, Officer Mullally is on the stand during the actual trial, he is questioned. You know. Uh, and on redirect, Robinson actually asks him about the box that they found the hatchet in. So he said he was present when Fleet, uh, Officer Fleet, actually found it. They, they were removing it from the basement. He was there with Fleet when that happened. And he said that in that box, shock to everyone in the courtroom, including the attorneys, was that they also discovered the broken handle in the box. And they're like, wait a minute, what? The handle was there too? And he's like, yeah, I saw a handle in there. So they recall Fleet to the stand, and he says, oh, no, no, definitely not. I, I don't recall seeing a handle at all. Now, the handle could have been very valuable. They could have gotten, you know, fingerprints and things like that. They were looking at that kind of stuff starting the... There might have been so blood on the handle. So why would he say that if it wasn't there? Don't know. And why would the others just emphatically deny that yeah, it wasn't there? Yeah, he is the Did they only lose one. It? Don't and they know. They were trying to cover that up. Don't maybe. know. He is the only one who do they, they says don't have the handle to they, this day. Do they? No, they do not. He is the only one who says I saw a handle that was a broken handle to a hatchet with the hatchet head in the same box. Wow, that's that's another weird gets better oh, in that they but decide... But wait, there's more. Yeah, they decide, okay, well, thank you very much. He goes off the stand. Fleet goes back off the stand after being recalled. They call up the next witness, and they're questioning, and they're like, wait a minute, um, can, can we talk about this handle a little bit? They're like, can we send somebody... Let's just go send somebody to go see if it's still there. Now, mind you, this is like 10 months later, but they want to send somebody back to see if this handle is still in this box in the basement at the Borden residence. So they dispatched two um, police officers to do that, Edson and Mahoney. So this is June 9th, 1893, like I said, about 10 months later. And it's 3.40 in the afternoon. Why is Emma not in court with her sister? Yeah, really. Don't know. Uh, but Emma apparently denies them access to the house. She says, no, you're not coming in here. Oh, she's probably fed up with all this by the now. She did. They did not present her a search warrant. Hmm. You know, but why would the courts not provide a search warrant? They said there's no search warrant in in the, the records. Uh, why did the court not provide one? Literally in the testimony of the court, they say, "Hey, maybe we should send somebody to go and and look for this." And then nobody gets a search warrant. Okay. Nobody Did they get a search warrant after nope. she said no? Nope. They, they just, just said, okay, go. she said no. Somebody lost it in the police department. They were think? covering up. I bet. Okay. okay. Um, so I find not that. Not that I'm not in police. I find that I'm interesting. not in police. <laughs> Please don't take it that way. Yeah. I'm just saying they weren't very, back in 1892, they weren't very meticulous as they are now. Right, and and they didn't often deal with this type of stuff. They, you know, they probably didn't realize how important that was. Like right. you said, the fingerprint evidence and the blood potentially on the handle that and the was wiped force off to of the break other. that 
handle that hatchet off Mm -hmm. that force there could have been other things on that handle too indentations or skin or something yeah absolutely so that's another little tidbit there for you that not most people know about it's in the trial transcripts and what i found most interesting about that not just that you know they didn't collect it or they sent somebody back and she wouldn't let them in um but the fact that he had never mentioned this to anyone previous so to after this. after that, it was just kind of dropped? Yeah, it was just dropped. Move on. Move on. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, strange. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about Eli Benz and the prussic acid. Let's. Again, this was not admissible in court. Right. Thrown out. But, interestingly enough, Eli Benz did take the stand during the actual trial, answered eight questions, and then they decided... Um, maybe we shouldn't let him talk. So they brought so they it up. they took his testimony out? They took his testimony out. Okay. After quite a bit of discussion. And uh, they had actually gone to um, remove everybody from the courtroom, had these little discussions. They went overnight, and they came back the next day and said, we still haven't decided whether we're going to admit this or not. Do you, can you just go on with the rest of your witnesses and we'll come back? And then eventually they say, you know what? Um, we've decided that we're not going to allow this. Okay, now wait a minute. Wait a minute. Back up. Back up. You said that they it took them a while to decide whether to allow that to be admissible. Right. How many judges were there? Three. Three judges. It took them that long to make that decision. Yes. Okay. This was supposed to be the prosecution's big thing. It sounds to me if she was found guilty that the defense attorney would have grounds right there for dismissal. Because the jury already heard that testimony. Now that they said that they're not going to allow it, that's going to, you know, you could declare a mistrial. I want to do it again. Yeah. Without him. Well, if if we step ahead and say, okay, well... They they were looking at whether they would let his stuff be in or not, and they said, can you bring on your other witnesses? Yeah. yeah. They did that. The next witnesses were witnesses who were supposed to explain Eli Benz's oh, Jesus. prussic acid. So they were, they were coming on, and their idea was that they were going to uh, explain what it was used for, whether it could be used by a furrier who, you know, makes the pelts and things like that, Uh, whether it could kill things, whether it was used as medication. So they're bringing these people on to kind of tell about this prussic acid, which we don't even know is going to be allowed to be admissible yet or not. And so all along... But she never got the prussic acid, right? She never got it? Theory is that no. Through him? No, 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 no. She never never obtained it through him. He denied her the sale, if it was her, in fact. Um, But... Uh, well, you know, I'm sure she, that it was her. Correct, and I, I'll talk about that here in a minute. But uh, through these other guy, witnesses' testimonies, it was constant back and forth, objections and things like that. Yeah. And it confused everybody in the courtroom, including the judges, because they didn't know what was going on. <laughs> and so it just wow. kind of messed everything up. And so then when they decided that Derailed. they're not going to allow his testimony... And they decided that they weren't going to allow his testimony because she was not being tried for poison. She was being tried for blunt force trauma. 
mm-hmm. not poison. And so this poison has absolutely nothing to do with her murdering these people with these hatchets. Mm-hmm. And that's why they denied it. The prosecution was trying to set up premeditation, right. but because it was a completely different type of murder tool, they said, eh, we're not going to allow it. I think I read this somewhere that they said that if there, if there were women at that time that would commit murder, in most cases it would be through poison. Absolutely. Yeah. Not this. Yes. That's why they originally didn't think it was her. And the the whole reason this was so important was because of that. But also, when they did the autopsies, the first thing they did was they clamped off those stomachs and they sent them off to be tested for poisons. Yeah. It came back negative. Yeah. And since they, they came back negative and she was not being tried for poisoning deaths, they said get rid of it. But there's some things with Eli Benz, if they would have allowed it, that, again, like you said, the prosecution uh, might have had a uh, little bit of trouble from the defense coming back and saying uh, mistrial. Uh, His testimony actually changed dramatically from the day of the murders until the time he was in court for the final trial. At the beginning, um, it was actually the day of the murder. Doherty and Harrington, two officers, were out canvassing the area looking for leads, things like that, after supper on the day of the 4th. And they went about checking on some rumor that they heard. um, And uh, it was supposed to be about a suspicious character who was hanging around. But while they were out there doing that... They heard another rumor that Lizzie Borden had actually tried to purchase prussic acid and was denied. So then he, they started going to all the drugstores. Eli Benz is the only one who says, yes, she was here and did that. Or not she was here the day of the crime. It was, yes, there was a woman who came here. Eventually, by the time trial testimony came, it was, yes, Lizzie Borden came, asked, and I said no and that kind of stuff. But... Um, None of the other druggists in the area knew anything about it. Eli Vence is the only one. He says, I don't know who it was, but I know that if I saw this person again or heard their voice again, I would be able to identify him. So they take Eli Benz, 8.15, 8.30 at night, on the night of the murders, to the Borden residence, which, remember, they don't have electricity, so they don't have lights. Um... The sunset that day, according to records, was at 6.58 p.m. So it was dark. So it's dark out. Obviously, if sunset that long ago, you know, you're two hours in, you guys know how quickly night comes and how dark it gets. Um, Takes them in the house, which is being lit by kerosene lanterns only, Mm -hmm. one per room, and shows them Lizzie and says, is this her? And he says, oh, yes, that's her. So he identifies her in a very dimly lit room the night of the murders in the house with the dead bodies, by the way. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, he didn't know if that was her earlier and later in his testimony. He says, absolutely, I knew it was Lizzie. I'd seen her on the streets many times before that. So I find that quite interesting, as well as the fact that um, later on August 6th, 
which is a couple days later, um, a guy named Hypodel Martel, uh, he worked on Pleasant Street as a druggist in another pharmacy, told the Fall River Herald that there was a woman about 26 years of age and about 150 pounds who wanted to buy arsenic the Monday before that. Okay, which would have been two days before the supposed uh, purchase of prussic acid or trial prussic acid. Uh, Anyway, and returned later on that day after he wouldn't sell her that, returned later that day and wanted to buy prussic acid from him. So he wouldn't sell her arsenic in the morning, wouldn't sell her prussic acid in the afternoon. And then two days later on Wednesday goes to Eli Benz potentially looking to buy prussic acid from him he still won't sell it maybe this woman who is younger and heavier than Lizzie according to Martell's description mm-hmm. doesn't get prussic acid or arsenic from either one of them but here's another woman potentially trying to purchase this so maybe it wasn't Lizzie after all maybe not So was it Maggie? Was it Maggie? I don't know. <laughs> she was thinner and younger, and she was about 26 or so. And did serve the food. And did serve the food, and then the family was sick. I don't know. But according to Martell and to Benz, neither one of them sold this person um, the, the medication, though. So. Well, what's interesting, too, about this whole prussic acid story and poisoning in general is that Lizzie did not eat with her parents true but uncle john did true and he was not sick and he was not sick Mm -hmm. which is interesting yes you know she ate later on like i don't know she got up with them well she didn't they were kind of there was a rift in the household anyway so she got up later and ate those johnny cakes or whatever yes cookie type type things um with a with a cup of tea but she wasn't eating the Mm-hmm. Ranted mutton. Yeah, she did not eat the mutton that morning. Yeah. No. Um, but did she not eat it because she knew it could have been poisoned? Don't know. Yeah. But also, I wonder if Uncle um, John ate the mutton. <laughs> I don't know. He was there and had, had breakfast with them. Uh, but Doctor Bowen, you people are nuts. There's freaking flies and crap on there. <laughs> I ain't eating that crap. Doctor Bowen, give me some toast, cup of coffee. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> Neighbor across the street, who was the first doctor to come in and look at the bodies. Um, and was also their doctor uh, and the, is also the doctor that was across the street the, on the Wednesday before, on the 3rd, when Mrs. Borden came across the street and said that um, they were all sick and uh, could you come and take a look at us or whatever. What and did they call that? They called that summer... Summer sickness. Summer sickness, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was widespread back then yeah. because these idiots did not refrigerate their food. They didn't know any better, though. I mean, you'd think that they would kind of figure it out, but... This tastes funny. Yeah. But he said that the morning of the 3rd... Just scrape them off and shut up and eat. (laughs) Summer sickness. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Anyhow, Dr. Bowden said... (laughs) Dr. Bowden said that Mrs. Borden claimed that Mrs. Borden and Mr. Borden were violently ill on on the 2nd. And that at midnight... Lizzie became violently ill, and they she thought they were being poisoned, or that the milk 
or the bread or something had something added to it that made them ill. And that Lizzie hadn't left the house. She was at home. She was in her room, sick, whatever. If that's true, how could she have been at Eli Benz's that morning purchasing or trying to purchase prussic acid from him? Yeah. Although we've been to the Lizzie Borden house. She could have snuck out. And the way that the layout is, if Mrs. Borden was up in her room and Lizzie was up in her room, Lizzie would come down the front staircase and leave the house to the front door. Mrs. Borden would never even be the wiser. So she could have slipped out without Mrs. Borden knowing, but the first time that we know she left the house on the 3rd was 6 o'clock that night when she went to visit her friend Alice Russell, where she told Alice that she thought that people were poisoning the family or someone was going to hurt her father, you know. All right, moving right along. Uh, (coughs) Matron Reagan. She was the police matron uh, at the Fall River Jail, where on the 25th uh, of August, during the day before Lizzie's one of the uh, one of the trial parts. uh, Not the official trial, but one of the things past the inquest. One of the in between pieces uh was staying she said that she overheard an or or she was quoted as saying that she had overheard a uh argument an argument between lizzie and her sister emma in her jail cell where lizzie accused emma of basically giving her away and Emma's like, no, I didn't. I, I didn't do any such thing. And uh, and Lizzie was, well, I'll just let you know. I I will proclaim my innocence. I you gave in me away, but I did. I'm gonna push forward that I didn't do this. This was leaked to the newspaper that day. The next morning, Matron Reagan goes to the newspaper and says, that's not true. And the newspaper says, what's not true? And she's like, none of it's true. I, I never said anything like that. That's not true. I didn't hear that. And they wanted her to sign an affidavit saying that the article contents were untrue. And she was leery about signing that. So she they, they went to um, uh, Marshall Hilliard's office where he basically said, do not sign that affidavit and refused to let her sign it. He said, if you sign it, it will be against my directive. Now, why wouldn't he let her sign that affidavit? Why did someone come up with this story? Where did it come from if it wasn't from her, if she didn't say it? And if it wasn't true, why did she say it? I don't know. There's something fishy there. Well, I could see from him saying, do not sign anything on the grounds of just not having any cooperation with the media whatsoever. You know what I'm saying? The the police who are in charge of the incarceration of um, the, the accused have nothing to do with the case whatsoever. And they shouldn't. They're just there charged to make sure they don't escape. 
Now, if they would collaborate with the media or or the attorneys or anything in any way, it could jeopardize the outcome of the case. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm getting at? Yeah. So if he says you're not signing anything, you don't tell him anything, whatever, just stay out of it. Mm -hmm. I could see his directive. Okay? But, you know, how did the paper know that she was working that night? That she was there in charge of Lizzie, you know, that kind of thing. That Emma was there. Yeah, to know those details, that's kind of strange. Mm-hmm. That part is a little bit, how did they know those details? If it wasn't her, then it had to be somebody else who was working and knew she was in that situation. That would go to the papers, but, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. More weird stuff. Yeah. All right. Then comes the idea that there were other people who could have done it. This is the point of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, and we're just getting to it now. Yeah. It's just a few moments to, to spare. but um, You have about ten minutes. Yeah. So, go ahead. So, there were several other people who gave testimony in the trial that there were strangers hanging around the area that morning and the day before and the night before. Um, there were lots of them. Gifford, Kirby... Chase, Hardy, Manley, um, they were all giving all of this stuff saying, you know, there, I came home at 11 o'clock that night before, uh, there was somebody sitting on my steps, I, and just kind of looking and lurking, and I questioned them, and they just didn't answer anything, and they ran off. Now, like I said in the beginning, this was not the best neighborhoods to live in. Because right. it was more of a commercial area. type area. True. So they weren't living up in the fancy area where if you would have transients, they would just stick out like a sore thumb. In this area, it was more commercial, so it could have just been somebody that was walking down the street and they sat down to take a break. Right. They're not going to be questioned. In that area, and I, and I remember reading this, that most of the police... Or most of the things that the police did at the time in that area was arrest prostitutes and transients. I think that's all they did. It wasn't like murder cases and stuff like that. They would just see these people hanging around and say, hey, let's let's keep going, or or prostitution. um, So that might not have been uncommon for that area to see that. True. But then again, it could be people who committed it because there was a lot of people who didn't like Andrew Borden. Right. And if it's people who need money, they might say, hey, you know what? Hey, I got 500 bucks. Go take that guy out. Yeah. I mean, and even the day of the murder, um, there were people, neighbors, um, passersby that saw strangers lurking around the Borden residence, even leaning against their their uh, post of their... Um, fence yes thank you their fence post i'm like you know that thing that i'm i'm giving him signals here with my hand to like to indicate a fence because i couldn't think of the word fence it's charades it is charades but anyway literally leaning on the fence of the borden's house uh the morning of the murders not long before the murders happened um so it's not like how would you like to be that guy who was walking down the street like i said just walking down the street he's tired it's a little warm out 
I'm just going to lean up the fence and take a break. And just so happens at that house where I leaned up against the fence, there was a double homicide. That would be like having a bad day. Yeah, it would be. Dude, I was just rested for like five <laughs> seconds. I didn't do it. Yeah. Um, <coughs> but there was also um, a few... D- well, a few days, 12 days after the murders, um, a guy named Joe LeMay actually saw a man on his property with a hatchet. What? Covered in a bloody shirt. What? Sitting there rocking back and forth saying, poor Mrs. Borden. Get poor out. Poor Mrs. Borden. Poor Mrs. Borden. What was that guy's name? We don't know what his name is because when he questioned him, the man ran off. Oh, for crying out loud. And he was just never let him seen. Run away. He was never seen again. He jumped over a fence and he was gone. Like, poor Joe. He couldn't keep up. When was this? The same this was, morning? This was August 16th, 12 days later. 12 days? 12 days. So that's why they didn't So Mrs. Borden this. could have been somebody's goose. Could have been. <laughs> could have been. Uh, I would think after 12 days, the guy would have changed his clothes. Well, I tell you what, you know. if it was the morning of the murder and it was that guy, Joe better be, like, kicking it into gear and finding this yeah. dude or Joe's going to be but in trouble. this guy was never found never found again. <coughs> his testimony about seeing this guy was never included in the trial. Again, it's 12 days later. They said it was too far remote removed to be included. Um, wow. Yeah. And then... Uh, that's a new one for me. That's a new one for you? Yeah. Um, there was an, another set of murders that happened during Lizzie's trial with the same MO. People were cut up with a hatchet. Multiple? Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. In Fall River? Uh-huh. Well, the, mm-hmm. I think it was a town over. Uh, but news of this got out and and while she, it's literally during her trial um they did catch someone that they claimed did that particular murder set and um the problem with that was even though the the similarities of the murders he was not actually in this country until november of 1892 which was several months after the borden murders so it was a copycat don't know could be um but he didn't speak well english at the time and so there was some you know talks at at the courthouse they were using translators and things like that but he he apparently was not in the country at the time of the borden murders and they were hoping that this did not get to anyone The 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 jury was sequestered and things like that but they they tried to keep it kind of (laughs) quiet okay so that was um uh, during her trial. And then the missing hatchet, I forgot to mention this when we talked about the hatchet before. Um, it was actually June 15th of 1893. Again, during Lizzie's trial, right? Mm-hmm. There's some kids that are playing baseball near the barns on Crow's Land. And they somehow, like kids do, got the ball stuck on the roof. Is this where they found the And they thing? found a hatchet in basic on the roof. Um, and uh, a guy comes forward and says that it's his, Arthur Potter. Uh, he says he's the owner of it, and he takes it, and um, he's never they're never seen again, whatever. But he said that 
it well the people have found it said it looked like it had been there for maybe three or four for a while he said it was missing for three or four weeks when it was returned to him now was they never tested that for blood either right no it was no. never tested of course not because this guy came and said it was his so it could have been somebody else who had did it while they were running chucked through it, up it on the chucked roof. it on the roof or it could have been you know the actual one from somewhere in the Borden house that they kind of chucked to the neighbor's house we don't know we will never know because that hatchet disappeared but it it is recorded that it was a bunch of kids that were playing baseball that found it that takes us to who 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 else could have done it besides these strangers there's two yeah, other this gets to my theory there's there's three other people who could have done this okay yeah, that we're in the one house. of the not in the not well, maybe not lived in the, house. in the house okay one i'm gonna do the not lived in the house first okay step or half brother right um borden supposedly had an illicit affair potentially with his cousin's wife uh and so there's another borden that had a child a son that could have been his and the idea was that he did it in some rage against his father whatever and he killed himself not long after the murders really he did uh and some people say that lizzie covered for him knowing she didn't do it and she wouldn't get it you know she wouldn't get convicted because she didn't do it she she was adamant that she was innocent but she covered for him and said you know if you try to get any of my inheritance, I know who did it, and I will talk. So there's the idea that maybe it was the brother who did it. She knew that he did it. Uh, she covered it up for him and basically said, you're not getting a dime. Uh, if you think you're going to, I'll bring this to the light of day. Okay. And then Uncle Morris. Mm-hmm. Which... That guy's just creepy looking anyway. He is. Uh, if you've ever seen a picture, he does. He looks creepy. If you haven't seen a picture, look him up. John Morse, Lizzie Borden. You'll look it up and Imagine spending the night in the room where Abby Borden was murdered with that dude's picture staring at you all night long. Because it was on the wall, uh, on the far wall against we the foot there. of the bed. We, we did that. Yeah, his his was picture was on creepy. the wall, uh, and uh. Your, the head of the bed actually looks at it all night long. So it's interesting. So the Let's idea. Let's just say for if him, I would have heard somebody coming up those steps, I would have been on my feet in less than a second. <laughs> <sighs> the idea that John Morse did it actually is kind of plausible. Um, it's very plausible. The idea that he did it stems from his times. Not matching Dr. Bowen's times. Now, to get this straight, he was the brother of Andrew Borden's first wife. Sarah. Sarah. Yes. So he was the true uncle. Of Lizzie and uh, Emma. And Emma. Yes. Yes. So he's staying at the house, and um, he apparently goes out into town to visit his relatives on Waybossy Street. He's staying in the room where Abby was murdered. Correct. That was the guest room. Correct. He tells police that when he comes back at noon, he doesn't see anything unusual. He doesn't see any people on the property, nothing. If that was the case, that 
place was packed by noon. Yeah. Uh, by 11.30, there were people standing at the edge of the property looking on, trying to see what was going on. There were police everywhere. You know, By 11.30, there's several doctors that are already in the house looking at the bodies. So, you know, that he wouldn't have seen that at that time doesn't make sense. Doesn't drive. No. Also, Dr. Bowen apparently went to um, see the same people that Uncle John did on the day of the murders. And according to him, he was back in checking on dead Muster Borden, because he didn't know about Mrs. Borden yet, at 11.15 in the morning. According to the relatives on Waybosset Street, Uncle John left, and minutes later, Dr. Bowen showed up. Really? So, if he... So, so Uncle Morris had to, be, had to go somewhere else before he went to the Borden house. But he said he didn't. He went from there to the Borden house. But, if he's <coughs> saying that he's leaving there at noon... Or getting back to the boarding house at noon, yeah, it was it was sense. fourteen minutes, because apparently it's been ridden. Uh, it was fourteen minutes from Waybossa Street to the Borden residence for him to be there that late and not have seen anything, and for Doctor Bowen to have come there and be back at the Borden residence by eleven fifteen. He didn't leave there at noon, so he says, "Oh, maybe it was twenty till noon." Still, that's Still. not right. <laughs> so the idea and one of the theories is that while he was out, he changed the clock by an hour at his relative's house so that when they looked at the clock to see what time it was when Dr. Bowen came, that would give him more of an alibi. Now, why? Theoretically. Well, his alibi was like ironclad, too, right? Yeah. He knew... Where he was, he had police officer badges, numbers that would have saw him at Six certain places. Six that were in a, yeah. in, a tra- in a tram or like trolley with him. Like he was prepared him, to have an alibi. He, he mailed a mail at the post office. Yeah. Yeah. But he couldn't remember who he mailed mail to, though. And his times were off. But his times were definitely off. So he could not have been there at the times that he said... He was gone well before that time period, which gives him plenty of time to get back and kill Mr. Borden, who is seen coming into his house at 1135 by his neighbor. So the question is, how much was uh, the maid, Maggie, Bridget, Mm -hmm. uh, how how much was she involved? Well, I think her and... and and the uncle did it together. Yeah. To uh, the question is, the theory is that they were having an affair. Mrs. Borden was not happy that he was hanging around with his with her staff, and they had a kind of discussion about it in the morning because well, they didn't like Bridget anyways. They yeah, they didn't trust her, but. They kind of made up the story about these two, Bridget and John, made up the story about this note that supposedly existed, but it didn't, because she knew that when Mrs. Borden was going to visit her relatives, 
they would send word if they wanted to see her that a relative was sick. So maybe it was Bridget who mentions this so that they can have time together. A little time for a get, get Mrs. Borden out of the house. Mr. Borden is gone. Lizzie, she flakes out. She goes all over the place She's anyway. She gallivants. She pears or whatever. Yeah. So it's, we, we're going to be able to have some time to ourselves. Or Lizzie knows doesn't care. Mrs. Borden's the only one that does. Mr. Borden's out of the house already. we got to get rid of her. When he comes back from his little quick excursion, he comes back. Mrs. Borden still hasn't left. She's upstairs. They have a fight. Uh, he kills her. He, by the way, carries with him his butcher set always yeah. because he's a, he's butcher, a butcher by, by trade. trade. <laughs> so he has all these instruments. He has his butcher's apron. So he hacks her up, comes downstairs, tells. So out of the four people, potential people, who lived in the house, wasn't in the house at the time, okay? So okay. don't argue that. Okay. Who had experience of hacking up meat with a hatchet, potentially? Uncle Morris. True. Right? True. Yep. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Case solved. Case solved. Uh, yeah, it's it, it's it's then one of Lizzie's statements. Now, didn't... didn't okay, because... Motive generally relates to money. Usually. Usually. Mm -hmm. Okay. Wasn't there some sort of uh, uh, land dealings or something going on between yes. Andrew and Morris? And they weren't too? going, and, and, and also um, they had cattle together and things like that too. And there was a lot of profit margin loss recently at that time uh, that Andrew and john were were fighting about mm -hmm. and they were contemplating separating ways and not doing business dealings together anymore so that's potential for his murder i wonder what happened to that business i don't know because if he took full control of that business right there's your motive there you go don't know but i do know that once Lizzie was acquitted. John, Uncle John, never came back to Fall River ever again. Really? He packed up and he never returned to Fall River. Not once. Well, Maggie left too. Maggie, Maggie, Bridget left as well. Mm-hmm. Um, one of Lizzie's things, though, that I wanted to mention was that she heard, when she came up from downstairs, she heard Bridget, Maggie, uh vomiting out the back door when we look at this uncle john scenario he goes tells bridget shows bridget whatever she gets sick immediately goes and vomits lizzie sees that thinks it's the food poisoning type thing mm -hmm. uh doesn't think anything of it but really it's mommy's stepmommy's already dead then she goes out does her own thing uncle Uncle John kind of hangs out in the basement cleaning up his stuff. And then Daddy comes home. She goes out in the barn. He comes up. He kills him. Hey, I killed Mrs. May as well kill Mr. too. I won't have to deal with these dealings anymore. You know, we've had issues. Uh, he didn't like that I killed and his I think wife. We Whatever. This, you know. I think we mentioned this before, but I'll mention it again. The importance of the order of the deaths. Yes. If Andrew would have died 
first. Everything that he owned would have went to Abby. Right. And then when Abby would have died, it would have went to her family. Correct. Not Emma and Lizzie. Right. Especially since they didn't get along. So <laughs> the order of the deaths were kind of important. Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of incriminating for Lizzie, though. Yeah. But, um... But I think Lizzie said, hey, thank you. Here's some money. Take that business. Go ahead. Thank you, Uncle. You know, pay Bridget off. She left. Mm -hmm. Lizzie gets her little mansion out there in Fall River. And then later on, her and uh, her sister part ways. Yes. Over an argument. Exactly. And what was that argument? The theory is that it was over Nance Mm O'Neill, the actress, who was maybe... A lover. Uh, maybe, maybe. Maybe. But there were things that were going on in the house that Emma said she couldn't talk about. <coughs> but or tolerate. She couldn't tolerate it anymore and she was leaving. Yeah. And um, maybe it had to do with the murders. Maybe it had to do with Nance O'Neill. I don't know. Yeah. We won't know because they never talked about it. But it could have been many other people, including Uncle John. And maybe next year for the 125th anniversary, we'll delve into Uncle John some more. But Maybe, yeah. Um, but basically, that's why she was acquitted, because of lack of evidence pointing to her mm-hmm. and all this other potential people who could have. And none of these other people were ever charged. No, none of these Nobody people. Nobody else besides Lizzie was charged with the murder. Correct. Ever. As soon as Lizzie's acquitted, the case is just dropped. But it was still open. But it's still an open case. It's still a cold case today. It's still open. But it was literally dropped, and they did not do any more looking into the situation. They, they thought for sure I bet you if sure Andrew was, was more well-liked by somebody, <laughs> that wouldn't happen. You know, But that leads to the thing that nobody liked this guy. Mm-hmm. He was a tyrant. Right. And a recluse, you know? So everyone's just, hey, he's gone. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Wasn't Lizzie. Okay. Next. Right. right. So, well, hey, we would like to hear your opinions about this. Yeah. Uh, if you've heard something different or have any more of these things that can collaborate some of this stuff that uh, Marianne had. had yeah, if you here. have any information on that acquisition of the land in the yeah. in the hills by Andrew if, and uh, Andrew. Or if uh, Uncle Morris got full control of that business, I'd love to hear about mm-hmm. that. That would be quite interesting, yeah. actually. You know what? I know we're wrapping up, but Uncle Morris did go back, and where he ended up living was actually where the Felisca axe murders took place a few years later. Get out. Nope, same town where Uncle Morris moved to. Wasn't he one of the and suspects? He was one of the suspects for the uh, Velisca Axe murders, oh, but it geez. turned out that he had died a couple months before it, so it turned out he didn't do it, oh. though. But isn't that amazing? He could have tutored somebody. Could have. All right, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> if you have anything you'd like to add, comment, or send us a note, you can actually go to our blog page which is untoldhistoryrevealed.blogspot.com. And if you scroll down on the right, there's a little form that you can fill out, and it'll shoot us an email. Guess what? We haven't got one yet. I keep testing it to make sure it works. (laughs) 
Uh, but we love to hear from you guys. I mean, uh, we know that people are downloading this. We've had over 2,000 downloads so far on our podcast, and this is our 14th week. So people are listening. Whether they're listening to the end for these directions or not, I don't know. But, uh, you know, even if you like what we're doing, would like this to keep going or, or whatever, we want to hear from you. Uh, give, give us a little interaction instead of just us talking to each other which is basically what we're doing. <laughs> but, <laughs> kind of like an EVP session every <laughs> once in a while. Is there anybody there? <laughs> but anyways, this is going to wrap up this episode, and we will be back next week with a different topic. Don't Absolutely. know what it's going to be yet, but uh, mm. you have a good evening. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening.